The more things change, the more they stay the same. Test results came back, met up with a new potential parenting partner, but outlook still looks the same. On this week's blog, I sit down with my new roomie, Tim Antone. We talk about dating, getting out to meet people, orgasmic meditation, and we get into some deep stuff about our worldviews. It's my unconventional life in monochrome. I went to the woods because I wanted to live deliberately, to front only the essential facts of life and see if I could not learn what it had to teach, and not when I came to die, discover that I had not lived. My name is Nigel McGuinness and this is my unconventional life. It's a podcast, it's a journal, and in a way it's kind of a personal ad. But most of all, it's about navigating the treacherous waters of love, sex and relationships in 2016. Sponsored by, you guessed it, no one right now. Every week I detail my own journey and discuss my own untraditional views and aspirations in that world. Whatever the topic, whoever the guest, it all comes back to one question. How do we best find and express love in 2016? So, yeah, moved into my new place, fairly ensconced now, actually sat in my bedroom. Got my testosterone levels checked this week, and they came back lower than they've ever been before. I'd been taking medication for low testosterone in the past, and I came off to see where I'd get back to naturally. And this is it. It certainly explains my especially low libido recently, but far more of an issue, perhaps, is that it could possibly affect my fertility too. On top of this, and again, perhaps more worryingly, if you choose, as I often do, was that my white blood cell levels were low too. Could be an effect of the low testosterone, but I made an appointment to see my doctor, and so I guess we'll see what he suggests. I mean, I don't feel unwell at all. When I had been on the medicine before, my levels had been at, you know, normal healthy levels, but my libido still didn't seem to be there like it should. And maybe a big portion of that is in my head. I mean, to, to be honest, I haven't really felt it since my last relationship, and, and that was largely born out of the security and trust and love. Maybe that's what I need. No, it just feels like a like an unresolvable conflict. I need love and trust, but I don't want the anxiety of monogamy. Ugh. So I finally met up with the girl from coparents.com from Ventura. We talked for about half an hour or so, and uh, she seemed pretty cool and had her shit together. And then we met up when she was in LA for work over sushi, and uh, I really enjoyed chatting with her. Now, I'm going to respect her privacy, though, and not go into any details. She does have another option that is probably a better fit for what she's looking for, and something didn't seem like the right fit for me either. I keep coming back to Supermum, but I missed her call this week and got her machine when I replied, and I haven't heard from her since. I'm really starting to doubt that this is ever going to be feasible. To find someone stable, in the right place logistically, who's ready to move forward now. 
both my roommate Tim and my good friend Andrew think I should try to find someone open to a non-traditional sexual relationship who also wants kids, who is mentally stable and realistic enough to be able to transition seamlessly to a non-sexual parenting partnership if and when the sexual aspect dries up. I don't fucking know. That's certainly not easy either. I finished reading The Way of the Superior Man this week. I'm reading it again. If for no other reason than it's the only book on my Kindle account other than a silly one about hypnosis. Nonetheless, in it, it talks about your sexual essence. Whether your goal in life is the proliferation of love, a feminine essence, or ambition and ultimately freedom, a masculine essence. 90% of people have one or the other, while 10% have a mix of both or a balanced sexual essence. And I think that's me. Because I've always been attracted to more tomboy type girls who are closer to a balanced sexual essence too. Introduced a friend to Rachel this week too. They've both been through traumatic experiences. Rachel is now planning on staying in LA for the next year at least. But it seems as though our ship has sailed as far as parenting together. Even if, seeing how loving and kind she was listening to and offering advice to my friend, again, made me think twice about not having a kid with her. At some point, if I'm going to move forward, I'm going to have to do it without being 100% certain. That's just the reality of it. This week's interview is with my new roommate Tim. Good karmic fella. Met originally doing his massage class through SPLA. Still haven't really got settled in the new place, but... Hopefully soon. Good title for my memoir, that. Hopefully soon, by Nigel McGuinness. Anyway, here's Tim. So it's Tuesday evening, and we are in our new apartment here. Kind of exciting. I'm with my roomie, Tim. Hello. How are you, my friend? Doing well. How are you? I'm okay. It's, um... Been a hell of a couple of weeks to get in here, hasn't it, right? <laughs> sure has. <laughs> I mean, without going into the details, there was a time where it looked like we were going to be homeless and we weren't going to be able to move in. And then we're going to have to put our stuff in storage. And then we managed to get in here at the last minute. But then we needed to fix anything up. But um, That was a tough day. <laughs> yeah. In the time since, uh, you've done a great job sort of getting the place spick and span and reasonably livable. And yeah. uh, I've got to sort of sort out my room. But... Um, we're on our way, and there's light at the end of the tunnel, and um, so a lot of stuff to be looking forward to, right? Yeah, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a good year. I hope so. Anyhow, so how long have I known you now? I'm trying to think. Um, about a year. Has been about a year, yeah, and I met you originally, obviously, through the um, SPLA massage classes that you were doing, mm -hmm. and then we sort of just became friends and hung out at coffee shops, and oftentimes talked about my problems in the dating world <laughs> you know <laughs> and I mean I remember when I first saw you and you bear somewhat of a, a striking resemblance to Neil Strauss from the game you did say something yeah <laughs> that was the first instinct and I remember yeah. thinking to myself man this is a cool guy like I should hang out with this guy more often right. you know um oh, how flattering I've got high hopes for the year as well we've moved into a nice two-bedroom place it's right here in the center of North Hollywood few blocks from uh, a lot of cool bars and coffee shops and places like that. So the plan is to spend the year sort of integrating ourselves into the local neighborhood, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Out and about and having fun. 
Met some of the neighborhood watch earlier too. Oh, you did? Yeah. <laughs> All right, fantastic. So anyway, having met you through SPLA originally, you joined up with them for, for what purpose exactly? Because how long would you say you've been non-monogamous or do you not even like to use that label? You know, labels are, are something I'll tell you that I have sort of a love-hate relationship with. You know, we, we have to identify and, and categorize people in, in some way. The label doesn't bother me at all. It, it's, I guess, an accurate one. So how long? I would say more than a dozen years, probably 12 or 13 years. Wow. Yeah. And yeah. was there a, a moment? Was there an epiphany where you were like, wow, I'm just different than most people? Or was there a relationship that just pushed you in that direction? I think it might be a little bit more of the latter. I want to say that it was a bit of column A and a bit of column B, though. There was a relationship in my sort of mid-20s, my, my first real I guess, serious relationship post-university. And that was just straight into monogamy and, and straight uh, into this very, very traditional um, track of, of middle America. You know, this is in, this is in uh, Michigan. And the monogamous marriage, children, career, you know, sort of life path, I think, that was something that didn't necessarily appeal to me. It was just one of those social programming things. And, sure. and that relationship, you know, it turned out for the best uh, that, that it ended after about uh, three years and getting into my later 20s and, and actually discovering myself again from that relationship, but also uh, in a sense of, uh, you know, getting out of a job that I, I wasn't too thrilled with and, and so forth. That all, I guess, just led me to be a little bit more intentional and conscious about my life, you know, about designing my lifestyle, my relationships. And that's just kind of where it's taken me, I guess. So there was a monogamous relationship in your sort of mid-20s. Mm -hmm. And at the end of that, you made a conscious decision that you weren't going to go down that path again. Not that I wasn't going to go down that path again, but it, it just wasn't for me to be married at 26 or 27. And, right. and, you know, going down that road that a bunch of my friends have gone down. Sure. I, I'm not going to, you know, knock marriage or children or monogamy in right. any way. I think it works for... Clearly, it does work for about half the people that try it. Uh, so I think that that's a pretty decent success rate, you know, one out of two. But that's also a, a pretty um, stark reality and, and statistic that that's uh, only kind of been going in, in the opposite direction. So, you know, it, it does lead one to, to be a bit more thoughtful, I guess, and, you know, and just mindful right. about that. But then when you made that decision to be more intentional with your life path after that, you read books. Would you meet someone that specifically sort of helped you to see the direction that you wanted to go? Well, you know, I think that uh, in in some ways it's funny you mentioned uh, Neil Strauss. You know, he, he was this dating and uh, what do you whatever you call it, pickup or seduction sort of guru. Yeah, and you know, he has a very famous book called The Game. And I'm not going to say that that in any way sort of changed my life or got me to a, any point, but I was on this growth path and did discover uh, that book and, and some other other things by uh, people in that community. It, as, as a part of the growth, what happened was a sexual awakening. And, and so it wasn't about this book or, or this material, but it, but it was sort of an overall, you know, reframing of, I guess, the, the dating and sexuality experience of my life. It's just this organic thing, you know, life is all changed. So I, I don't know that there is ever one thing that you can point to necessarily. Mm. Um, but I do feel that there are obviously formative experiences and, uh, and relationships as, as we've already right. touched on. So, Well, what would you um, say without mentioning names was your first non-monogamous relationship? 
Well, you know, as again, as, as I was just discovering that you could be single and you, you could be, I guess you could call it promiscuous, but you could be sexual without necessarily having the, again, the, the monogamous relationship marriage model in mind and discovering that the, the physical pleasure of that, the, you know, the, the joy of, of connecting with more women, that did lead me to, I guess, one relationship a couple of years after the one that we just discussed. Whereas I was getting close to 30, I, I did. I sort of met someone who was in this very same, I guess, part of, of her journey maybe, or, or at least just at that point in her life where she wanted a non-monogamous relationship. She did not want to label a boyfriend and girlfriend kind of relationship. So maybe that forced me a little bit to really try it and really get like a, a, a toe dip into a relationship that was non-monogamous, not just being single and kind of sleeping around a little bit after right. a long, serious relationship. So, so it was, I, it I was think her that, there, that there suggested was, it. I, I believe it was just sort of that we, we dated and, and when a conversation had come up about something, a sort of our quote unquote relationship, that it was just sort of made clear that we were both still seeing, we were seeing other people. And, uh, mm. and then it just sort of was made clear that, that why not continue doing that? And, and as we opened up to each other, it actually, um, like I said, it was sort of a a beautiful little awakening and, and sort of a, a little push that I might have needed in, into that world of having sort of a primary relationship, at least what I considered my girlfriend, and but still being able to ethically have sexual experiences outside of that and, yeah. and even have other relationships and other, other right. you know, women to date. And, and that was okay. Yeah, because so that was, that was uh, I'd say, the, the start of it. Right. And I think it's interesting really to try and differentiate between what we would refer to as a non-monogamous relationship mm -hmm. and what other people might say is a friends with benefits type scenario. I mean, how in your mind do you sort of differentiate, separate the two? Or are they just the same thing but called different things? What do you hmm. think? It's an interesting, <laughs> an interesting question. I think that they are different things. I think that friends with benefits and, you know, starting there is a bit easier. It's a simpler relationship. You know, I, I have made friends that then be, became sexual uh, relationships and and uh, have toggled, I guess, back and forth, or at least once, hmm. gone back to friends, you know, and, and not been sexual ever again. Yeah. And I've also had sexual relationships that, that, you know, after that relationship was done, we just remained in touch and we remained friends. There also is a good amount of time that I think that that can be sustained, that are, that are friends with benefits, you know, where you are friends, but you just happen to hook up whenever I guess it suits both of you. And, and I think, again, if you come from a um, like a conscious and a, an intentional place where that's openly discussed, I've made it work and I know other people that have made it work. Uh, it doesn't work forever. I think maybe that's something I do agree with. Something will either develop one way or another into a, into a relationship or into a, a parting you know, of ways. So, But is that relationships in and, general or is and, it just non-monogamous relationships? So are mm -hmm. you saying that a non-monogamous relationship ultimately will either fall back into platonicity if that's even a word, or will have <laughs> to become one. more serious and exclusive? Or, or do you think you that. can have a lifelong non-monogamous relationship? I was talking about friends with benefits relationships. And those okay. are, again, I, I think those are a different animal because they never quite involve that depth of emotional connection. I see. And that connection where you would call it a primary uh, relationship or even a dating relationship at all. It's just a sexual friendship, in my opinion. You know, right. it's, it's a friendship that you are attracted to each other. And if there are no restrictions with either of you in other relationships or, or emotional attachments yeah. to each other in that way, it's perfectly fine and healthy. 
a non-monogamous relationship though, I think that there's a broad spectrum of that yeah. within that. So that's a broad term, but in general, I think the difference is that that is a relationship. It is, it is a dating or life partner or whatever. So that definitely could be a long-term or lifelong. So you're uh, thinking then sure. that the second option you'd meet each other's family and you'd go on like date dates where you'd go out to a nice restaurant whereas a friends with benefits thing is something that you'd probably do more low-key in each other's homes mm-hmm. maybe you go and get a coffee from time to time but you wouldn't spend as much time together i think that's basically yeah that's basically okay. it and, and not just the time i think that you know the emotional connection and the attachment as well as the obligation you know there there are certain expectations and obligations in relationships uh whether those are explicitly discussed or or just you know implied um Mm. depending on the the length and and depth of the relationship but i think that uh in a friends with benefits situation you know again it's a friendship first uh whether it started as a friendship what i mean is the priority is a friendship Mm -hmm. and so whatever level that friendship is it could be a very casual one it could be a very close one I think the more casual, the easier that is to sustain. Uh, I think that makes sense because the closer the friendship and emotional ties are, then the harder it is to separate the sexuality from that. Yeah. So the more distant or casual friends or acquaintances you are, I think that's definitely easier to maintain a, a sexual relationship that is non-monogamous and not only non-monogamous, but just a sexual friendship. And uh, so again, the, the, girlfriend boyfriend non-monogamous sort of relationship or marriage is something that i believe is a true partnership and relationship that moves forward with that understanding that there will be other sexual partners and again that could be there's such a broad spectrum of that that i won't get into detail but the point is primarily it's a relationship primarily it's it's a you know a romantic actual partnership so that's i I think a pretty you know clear way that i i distinguish between them and and i do have both in my life i mean they're they're not mutually exclusive either. Gotcha. Now, there's a big portion of your life, though, that's more than just the notion of exclusivity. I mean, because you're big into yoga, and it's more than just having sex with more than one person. It's about having a deep, genuine connection. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think in some circles you're referred to as a sex ninja. Is that right? <laughs> I don't know. A ninja guru, something like that. Um, How did that sure. come about? <laughs> Tell me about that. Because as I said, you know, I took your massage classes and while they were ostensibly level one and therefore not sexual in nature, right. you could arguably use them in a sexual way with someone you were already sexually connected to, correct? Well, absolutely. I think that so much of what's involved in in some of what I teach is that intention means a lot. And so the same sort of massage techniques that you'd use just for a deep tissue sports type massage with a very small tweak, you know, the the tiny difference of of the intention and and the approach of the touch, it it could be a very deep sort of sensual or sexual experience, Um, you know, and, and so it really, a lot of it does, does sort of crossover yeah yeah if people are interested in in like hearing more about this and finding out more about this side of of you where can they get information like this well they can get a little bit of information at our uh new sort of being built website it's moregasmic.com m-o-r-e dash g-a-s-m-i-c.com and uh that is going to have some resources and a a bit of a an overview of uh, what i teach and and coach you know for men and women and couples yeah 
And so sometimes you will help couples who are having sexual intimacy issues in terms of, you know, getting to a better place, right? Yeah. You know, we, you know, it's not exactly couples counseling. Um, it's, it's a bit more coaching, you know, it's, it's to get couples to be connected with each other. You know, some tantric related principles uh, mm-hmm. are, are sort of used in there. And, you know, I, I, I draw from a broad base, a broad spectrum of knowledge and experience um, from different traditions from Eastern and Western uh, traditions, but some exercises in intimacy in you know, eye gazing in, in uh, you know, just these little play dates, you know, getting to be reconnected with themselves and with each other. And, and so that's something uh, that's been wonderful for the, those couples that uh, I've worked with. And, you know, just, just men and women individually can definitely um, certain techniques, principles and practices that, you know, that one can do on their own to alleviate uh, certain tensions, blocks, energy that may be sort of stifled in the body, and also just to be physically healthier and uh, more open to, I guess, sensation, you know, more open to experience in general. Right. Now, Tell me a little bit about orgasmic meditation, because that's something that I started looking into. Obviously, you hear the term orgasmic meditation, you go, that sounds interesting. That sounds like something I should do. But Ooh, it sounds fun. Yeah. It's an interesting idea. I went to one meetup and sort of got a brief rundown of it, but um, I didn't really move any further because it was quite expensive to get involved. And it just didn't really strike a chord with me in, in that environment. But broad strokes, what exactly is orgasmic meditation? Okay, well, I will uh, definitely go into a few details. I'll, I'll preface this, though, at, at this point. And I am not a member of the organization that is sort of, I guess you could say, in charge of, uh, of orgasmic meditation. And it seems odd to say that because there's sort of, there is a specific group. And I, what you're talking mm. about is, is the expense you know, this group does charge for specific events and uh, trainings, you know, to, to do this. You know, my personal opinion is that this should be sort of open source. I mean, or it should at least be able to be experienced and people should not be made to feel marginalized if they learn on their own or if they learn from a coach. Uh, anyway, orgasmic meditation is, it's actually a couple's practice, but one could sort of experience it solo. But it's again, as, as defined, it's, it's a couple's practice. It's uh, usually a man and a woman, but a woman is receiving the orgasmic meditation. It's sort of a misleading, you know, misnomer because of, of, uh, meditation is usually sort of done solo. But the idea is that the, the giver, uh, can be a man or a woman. The receiver is, is, is a woman because it's a form of clitoral stroking. This is clearly something that, uh, that men can't experience. There is sort of a version of orgasmic meditation, again, not officially sanctioned, but that I uh, do coach and I I do experience myself, but I will keep it to, I think what you're asking about, which is the, the uh, female, you know, the the clitoral stroking. Uh, What it is, is basically the couple is positioned. The giver is, is positioned sort of over the receiver laying back. And this can be done mostly clothed. I mean, it has to be, uh, bottomless, um, you know, for the receiver, but otherwise everyone's clothed. It's not sexual in in that it's not full like intercourse or you know in that way yeah but it is definitely sexual so there's a a a sort of a 15 minute experience of connecting and stroking the clitoris in a a very slow specific way and you know just sort of breathing and, and a few techniques that can be brought in to enhance the experience and after this time there's sort of a shared frame you know kind of a um it's a bonding and a coupling sort of experience. And that's really the gist of it. It's just a giving, completely 100% one-sided giving, like a massage or like other things where there is there is not reciprocity. It's just mm. 
the experience can be quite orgasmic. It's not intended to lead to an orgasm, a complete peak of an orgasm, but it definitely can and has. Um, it is sort of a blissful, relaxing, connecting, uh, very deeply, you know, satisfying experience. Sure. Yeah. So it's a form of meditation involving two people where you stroke at the clitoris of the receiver for 15 minutes, not with the intention of necessarily bringing a climax, because they made that clear, the difference between climax and mm -hmm. orgasm being yes. two separate things. Yeah, they also remember them telling me that it wasn't sexual in nature, and I was like... I don't know about that. Sounds I don't know. I think stroking the clitoris is kind of sexual. Then I said, well, what about this? I mean, essentially, the male penis is really just an extended version of the clitoris. You know, it's mm. one developmental stage in vitro, um, the clitoris turns into a penis. And so could not the same thing be done stroking the end of a penis for 15 minutes? This is... Kind of what I was just touching on earlier, um, no pun intended. <laughs> so what I, I have discovered, and this may be more cutting edge, edge than even I think. So yes, I mean, I feel like that that is, I mean, your question is very natural. It's just sort of, you know, yeah, why would that not be the case? Um, mm. Men and women do experience orgasm, you know, in, in similar ways, not, not all the same. But uh, as you just mentioned, since this is specifically clitoral, um, and I found that, that uh, there are obviously corresponding parts, as you mentioned, they're yeah. essentially the same organ that, uh, that yes, it, it's basically, um, I guess it's like a masturbation technique and as, as it would be if a woman is doing an orgasmic meditation with herself, but, uh, it is a practice where again, it doesn't need to end in a climax or right. an ejaculation, um, with, with yeah, uh, a man, because man, so. I mean, I'm reading the way of the superior man by David data right now. Yeah, and in book. that, yeah, he talks about withholding ejaculation if you're a guy. And so is there something perhaps to that, that, you know, at the base level, men and women have different energies and therefore this type of orgasmic meditation or whatever label you want to place on it is better or is more in tune with the woman as the receiver because she is the feminine energy. Do you think of anything to uh, that? You know, I, I do think that in general, women tend to be more orgasmic than men. The, mm -hmm. the feminine is the sensual. And when you're talking about this type of sexuality and really diving deep, you know, in, into what orgasm is and, and uh, how expansive it can really be, you know, you start discovering that, that these things tend to even out a little bit, but there still are polarities, you know, and, mm. and the female energy, the feminine energy, definitely, uh, as you suggested, it really does have more potential, I think, for longer and possibly more intense, thorough, I don't know what to say, holistic orgasms, you know, uh, orgasms that really touch all of the parts of their being. Um, and, and I think that men have this capacity. I, I do think that they're the masculine energy, the more on that side of the spectrum, uh, a man is probably the more he can experience certain types of orgasmic pleasure and orgasm, but the less he might be able to experience this expanded energy, energetic type of orgasm. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating stuff. It really is. I mean, I've been learning a lot Boy. just from reading that book. And I think in today's world where we like to say everybody's equal, irrespective of the color of your skin or your sex, you know, the, the way you were born, we're all equal, but there are some intrinsic differences between men and women and even between people of different races and there's i think there's a difference between accepting 
and recognizing those differences and treating people negatively because of them. Oh, right. I mean, I think to imagine or imply that all human beings are, are the same is a gross misconstrual of the English language because equal doesn't mean the same. Ah. And I think that, that there's such a huge push toward that, this PC movement and, and beyond uh, where this treating everyone the same and everyone can do the same job. Of course, if you do the same job, men and women should be paid equally. There's no doubt in my mind or in any sensible person, in my opinion, that, that equality should should rule the day. But mm. the sameness and the, and the treating everything the same and having everyone, you know, the same is is really, I think, a lot of what's wrong with uh, with the way that we treat relationships, the way that we treat men and women and how we interact with each other, especially. Since we're on that topic, I know that you could talk about race or religion or anything else in that same uh, in the same framework. But if you're talking about men and women, the more similar, the more the same that you want to be treated as, as a woman or as a man, you know, by your partner or by a people of the opposite sex, the more I think disservice you do to, uh, I'd say, romance, uh, number mm. one, and, and just to the natural kind of order. There are certain energies, certain polarities, certain um, roles, I think, that, that are played. And especially when you're talking about it in the sexual realm, I, I guess I'd give you this rule of thumb. If, if both a, a man and a woman, or, or let's just say both people in a relationship, anyway, the, the masculine and feminine, the closer that they are to the middle of the scale, the more muddy, the more mushy and gray it gets, right? Because it's not polar, it's not black and white. And so lines get, get blurry and feelings can get hurt. Responsibilities can get crossed. Things just may not work out. I'm not saying that those kind of relationships don't work. Hmm. Um, in fact, the better ones are both at least a similar distance from the middle. You know, right. both equally polar. Right. Middle, right. So if you have a very masculine person, yes, opposites do attract a very feminine, you know, person will, yeah. will be the best partner, I believe. Right. Truly. Sexually, absolutely. Um, probably in life, too. Yeah. Because I think and, when, I, when I look back on my life, the guys I've been most attracted to have generally been quite sort of tomboys, you know, because I'm very in touch with my feminine side. You know, I'm mm. in touch with my emotions and my feelings and therefore... I've definitely found that the girls I've been attracted to have been closer to, to mm. me. You know, the Very ones who are yeah. way more feminine, we just never seem to have that same sort of connection. Right. Because who's bringing the masculine energy, the, the powerful, single, you know, minded masculine energy yeah. to match her, her powerful feminine energy. Right. right? So, so this notion yeah. that I need to be more alpha. Because last year, for New <laughs> yeah, Year's Eve, nonsense. that was one of my resolutions. I wanted to become <laughs> Alpha McGuinness because I was too fucking beta. You know, and I know that most girls like alpha guys. Do you think that's a fair comment? Or do you think I should just go, listen, this is who I am. Therefore, I need to find girls who are the same sort of distance on the other side of the middle. Well, you know, I think that there might be a little conflation here, too, because I don't think that masculine and feminine is the same as alpha and beta you know no? I, I don't think i again i think that sure if you call it more dominant more submissive there are certain uh, other scales that of course follow that that yeah. same dynamic but i don't think it's a direct relationship i don't think they're the same thing huh. uh, they might be correlated they might be related but i think that uh of course it's more likely that a strongly masculine person is going to be more alpha but but i think it might be more confidence or indifference that people really are attracted to not necessarily alpha but i would say though that again the traditional natural let's call it evolutionary female preference is for the alpha male yes you know yeah. for for someone who is at least 
in charge of his own life. Right. You know, and that's so that that's what I mean about it. it doesn't mean that you're not masculine or feminine or that you uh, necessarily how you treat other people. It's more about how like self dominant you are, how much a master of your own life and your in your own right. You know, self and that's what David Data says in the thing that the, your life purpose has to be your utmost goal in your life, right. more than your sexual relationship, more than your children, more than anything else. Absolutely. You have to find your true purpose in life. Now, for me, growing up and becoming an adult, that for me was always becoming a professional wrestler. Um, what would you say it was for you? You think you found your life purpose? <laughs> I think it's taken me a while. But yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think I have. How would um, you sum that up? Well, I mean, my life's purpose doesn't have anything to do with what we're talking about. You know, What is it then? Um, I would just call it protecting. Protecting the earth, I think, is is maybe the simplest way to put it. I I guess you could call what I do environmental work with renewable energy. And it's a passion of mine because it's the biggest problem facing mankind. You know, I've always felt like my life had a pretty great purpose. And facing in the small way that I do now and, and hopefully moving further in that direction, in no way I feel like would I be satisfied until my personal passions and life aligned with the greatest problem facing mankind. You know, I feel like uh, hmm. maybe, you know, it's not that I'm destined to, to just solve this problem. I don't have that sort of sense of grandeur, but I do feel like it's a, you know, it's a noble purpose. It's, sure. It's saving mankind. I actually, I always say this, the earth actually will be fine. The earth's been around for billions of years right. before us and will be around for billions of years after us and will survive just fine after a nuclear war. But we will not survive uh, after what we're doing to the planet, and and it's not going to take long for us to uh, to you see really that. Think so, so, without being too much of a downer, the idea is that within our lifetimes, or within people's lifetimes who are alive and, and aware right yeah. now, the Earth will look completely different. The map of the Earth will look different. Coastlines will be changed. Uh, islands will disappear. There's going to be massive migrations. Uh, you know climate migrations of people, yeah. animals, every, it, you know, there's really going to be chaos. And, and when you talk in these apocalyptic terms, I don't think that it's overstating. I really, I mean, for the human race, again, you know, we think, well, we're destroying the planet and we couldn't possibly, cause we're, we're so small and the planet's been around forever. Yeah. And again, that's not the point, you know, we're not destroying the planet. We're destroying the planet for human use. Yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, I don't see a, a, a planet B, so we need a plan B. Right. So, you know, we, we have to figure out what we're doing. And that's just what I've dedicated my, my career to. So, yeah. uh, you know. So, and so I, now that you've found that, you've yeah. found that destiny and that purpose in mm-hmm. life and everything else in your life fills in the blank, so to speak. Like there's more love, there's more passion, there's more peace in your life because you're aligned with your own true purpose. Absolutely. Yeah. You, you know, I just, you, I wake up every day. Even if I don't have my agenda for the day or whatever, I don't mean that. I just mean I wake up every day knowing what I'm going to do for that day. I, I know what I'm going to be spending my time and energy on. And, you mm-hmm. know, those are my two, you know, greatest, uh, right. most valuable resources. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, that feels pretty good. It's this direction and momentum that I've sputtered and, you know, started and stopped at different points in my life thinking that I'd found the right niche or the, the right mm. path. But I think that career-wise and, and just lifestyle life mission wise yeah you know I, I wake up knowing that and that's a it's a pretty pretty happy feeling I guess that's great yeah. yeah so obviously you know that's your life priority but do kids factor into it I mean is that something that you're either a looking into doing anytime soon or something that if you never did it you've never experienced being a parent you think you'd feel unfulfilled because you'd still have your main purpose in life 
Yeah, you know, the, the social programming goes deep. Actually. It's uh, the desire to have kids and the desire to be a father does go way, way back. Although I thought about this recently. Um, mm. I, I'm not convinced of, of doing one, one or the other, you know, ha- having children or not. And I know as men, we are lucky enough to have more time. But finding my calling, finding my purpose a little bit later, getting to that point of where I feel now that my life is in the right direction, then a potential mother and, and potential family could uh, exist in harmony with it. It's, it would be at odds, I think, if I had tried that before, you know, finding myself and my, you know, my direction. Yeah. So, so that's for one. But as a, as a kid and, and growing up and, and literally until very recently, I always thought that the desire to have kids for me was tied to that social programming. And it was for a long time. What I didn't realize, though, is that as I've gotten older, one of the pillars, you know, the core values of my life is teaching. I realized that the most important people in my life were my teachers, were, were people that, whether they were my teachers or not, they were people that I learned from, people yeah. that taught me, including my father, my uncles, my male influences in my life growing up, as well as actual teachers and professors. And so part of what I've always done, I think going back to middle school, high school, was teaching, you know, helping other people, helping other students, tutoring just teaching. It's, it's just something that I value so much is, is learning and teaching. So right. something that I will value in a person as a side note is if they can teach me something. That is something that I probably value above most other things in, mm. in somebody. As far as, like I said, not I, I value a lot of things as far as like compassion and, you know, real things, but about someone's, I guess, intellect or, you know, something that I, that I really respect or, or value about someone. So I love it when people teach me things and I love it when people, you know, want to learn and, and, you know, are open to learning and, and love learning like I do. Yeah. So, you know, I think that my desire now that more recently is not the social programming desire. It's the desire to, to raise a child, to teach mm. and to mentor a person. Yep. And so I've done that in my career and in my life privately, but, um, that's really where I think it comes from. And I do have that desire, although, mm. There's several conflicts with that, including the environmentalist aspect of, of bringing another human consumer onto the planet, which I right. think is possibly irresponsible. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot of factors that go into this kind of decision, But when people you know? say that to me and people say, hey, you know, look at the world and all the terrible things that are going on. Do you want to bring another child into this world and someone else to add to the carbon footprint, et cetera, et cetera. I always say, well, yeah, because that's your gift to the world is to bring someone in who's going to have a positive effect. I mean, whatever effect that you're going to be able to elicit through your work, having a child will perhaps potentially exemplify that, you know, and and arguably we need more people in the world in the future who see the world that way. I mean, I think certainly Rachel, uh, that's the way she sees it. That's the way that she decides how she lives her life is, you know, the best gift that she can give to her child is to bring her child into the world so that she can have a positive influence as well. Yeah, that's absolutely a valid line of thought. And, and that's something that, that right. is strongly in my mind as well as, as a uh, factor uh, yeah. for, you know. But so is it a question then for you of finding the right person to have a child with? Well, I think now that I had mentioned this before, but yeah, now that I have found more of a direction for myself, for mm-hmm. my career, my company, that yes, now it was a matter of that and it's a matter of finding the right person. And, you know, like I think the thread here among this conversation is that it's it's all connected. You know, it's it's not been the right time, the right person, the right connection, the right financial situation, whatever. Yeah. I, I'm, you know, maybe a little too cautious or a little too thoughtful about it, but, uh, you know, right. I've never never been engaged or married and 
while I've already clearly said that that's not necessarily a priority or a prerequisite for having children for 20 to 30 years of life that it was. And then in more recent years, right, it hasn't been the right time or, right. or any of any one or more of those factors. Sure. And I always feel exactly the same way. And I'm also risk averse. And when you look at it, though, and you look at the number of people, probably our parents included, they probably didn't have all of those factors going oh, absolutely. in. Absolutely. Right. I, yeah. You know, my parents were, I think my mother was 21 when she had my oldest brother. So this is something that is not this is nothing new, you know. People but are, are we worrying with, too much right. about it? I think people have always been in this common mindset of sort of overcaution, and people have always been in the throw caution to the wind and and let's just be bunny rabbits, you know. So yeah, I mean, uh, I, but, I I look back now on my past relationship with my ex girlfriend, and I think was it ideal? Of course not, but um, there were so many positive things going for it that I really do believe had we had kids, I mean, we never would have done it because we were both risk averse and we never felt like we were in the right place. But if it had happened and we'd had kids, I think we'd have been very happy. I think we'd have sort of figured it out and worked Mm. it out and the love for our children arguably would have sufficed. I I don't know. That could be wrong. Maybe, you know, that's what a lot of people think and Mm. then... 10, 15 years down the line, they're like, no, it wasn't enough to make the relationship work. I don't know. Only 50%. No, I I do think that, uh, I'm not a cynic about it, like I said, but I do think that there are a a lot of things that when people don't think about that make it much more likely, you know, that things don't work out for the best. Yeah. And uh, so I think that being, in this case, being such a life-altering decision for everyone involved, at least three people. Yeah. It's just something that you you don't want to have you don't want to make a mistake the other way. You know what I mean? I, I feel like that that definitely is a uh, factor. And I could also see that happening. I've looked back on old, you know, other relationships. And I don't think that the first one I discussed in my 20s maybe would have been so great. I, I really yeah. think I'm a very different person now. But, sure. but I do think in recent years, a handful of good, you know, long-term relationships I've had, that any, almost any of them, sure, you know, could have, yeah. could have gone that direction. You know, you actually, I've, I've seen a couple of them get married and have kids since. And you sort of can see it even more clearly in that case as if, you know, you remain in touch. And, right. uh, and so I definitely have thought about that. And I think that I could have been happy. I think that happiness is so much of it is self-directed and, yeah. and you know, you, you can't rely on external um, sources of happiness. So I do think that having kids would have made me happy and might still, but uh, mm. I do think that also I don't regret any of the decisions that I made to not have kids with, with any of them. Well, so. this is what Tony Robbins says. He says, the only wrong decision is no decision. Well, and I also, I believe that. And I also believe that no decision is a decision, but that that is also the worst decision. So yes, I agree <laughs> with him on that as well. <laughs> I mean, he says, look, make a decision, go with a direction. And listen, if it's wrong, then learn from it go in a different direction. And I think that's what Rachel, one of my prospective parenting partners, is so good at. You know, she has her core ideals, how she wants to live her life, and she just moves forward with it. And to someone on the outside that hears that, okay, she's going to Europe, and now no, she's staying here, and then she's going to have a kid with a known donor sperm. But no, 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 she's found somebody else. It sounds like she's very sort of speculative and doesn't really know what she wants, but she does. She knows 100% what she wants, but she's just having to navigate around the world to get where she wants to go. 
Right. And that's very admirable. That really is. It, it is. It's a that kind of single-minded purpose that adapts and creates something out of what it's given to remain that steadfast and do whatever it takes to get around all of those issues and challenges right. that, that inevitably arise. Well, let me ask you this. Do you think then that being the case that I need to be more focused, more determined in terms of I don't want to say getting laid, but in terms of being a <laughs> sexual, a sexual, conscionable human being. Because right now, I mean, listen, with us moving in here, with me getting that job where I'm working 12 hours a day and me doing the podcast and the blog, there's very little time to really think about dating or anything else. Do you think that I need to make it more of a priority? Do you think I need to say, look, by the end of the year, I should be having consistent sex with somebody and I should now start pursuing it because we do have this notion that it should just kind of happen organically. Certainly when you look at the traditional romantic Disney norm, you just go, well, you just meet someone and you get on well and everything sort of happens. But it doesn't seem to be happening for me and, and really never really has when I think about it. When I've had any success in that world, it's always been because I've worked pretty hard to put myself in that position. Don't just restrict it to that world. I think that you could probably relate that statement to anything. Jobs, women, career success, physical stamina or, or cardiovascular health. These things are, are not dropped in someone's lap. There's some right. things that you go after and, and you, yeah, you go get. And I, I, I believe... 100%. I mean, a few things. So if you if you believe in the secret that uh, I guess, you know, you just think about something a lot and it'll come to you. I mean, I, I do believe in the power of positive thinking, but mm. that's just the first step. That's the mindset you have to be in in order to then go get what you want. Yeah. Um, and then I also believe, though, that one, I'd say yes. If it's something that is a priority in your life, then absolutely you need to prioritize your time accordingly. Two, though, as I would definitely not put too much pressure or time limits as, as you kind of just threw an example out I know but when you're saying by the end of the year that's I think too much pressure and that's something yeah. that, that I think if you have a if you're results oriented in your process then that's gonna shoot you in the foot I, I think that if you are goal oriented initially and knowing the direction that you want to go then disconnect yourself from the outcome and the result then I think that you'll get there and so that's sort of a combination of these two schools of thought so one is you set the goal and you, and you intentionally, you know, move your life, your thought patterns and your decisions in that direction. Two, though, is that you allow things to happen. Once you have set your intention and your direction, then you allow things to happen. You open yourself up to that experience and you frame your life and you frame your experiences in that way to always be moving toward that goal. But at the same time, having a result-oriented mindset of, you know, tonight I've got to meet a girl or I've got to be, you know, in a sexual relationship by a certain date, hmm. it, it undermines the, the purpose itself. You know, it, right. it sort of um, makes it so that you're, you're uh, not in the moment, you're not in the process, and you're too focused on the future. So sure. it, it, it makes sense to know the direction you're headed, but then you've got to be in the present moment. Well, there are, there are two things here. First of all, for me, there seems to be a lot of caveats when it comes to sex. You know, there are things like, well, I have to know her very well and I have to be able to trust her and I have to be very attracted to her. Do you think I'm making too big of a deal of it? Because a lot of the people I've met through SPLA, they seem to have a broader range of what they find sexually attractive. I do think so as well. 
I don't think that that's necessarily anything to compare or judge yourself by, though. No? Um, I, I just, because I don't. I mean, I, I don't subscribe to, in order to be sexually awakened, you know, um, I should just say woke. You know, well, everybody's on the, uh, for example, the homosexual scale, you know, somewhere, right? Like you have some bisexual attraction to the same side. I, you know, I don't believe those things. I don't, I don't necessarily think that everyone has to open themselves up to every experience or every fetish or every, hmm. you know, gender or orientation or anything. I, I feel like, you know, if you know yourself, you know yourself and, and that's fine. Um, right. You know, so, but, but your question though, I mean, leading back to that was your, it just depends on your goals. I mean, if your goals are just to have sex, then probably you need to loosen your standards a bit. Um, but obviously if your goals are, you know, different short or long term, then, then you may have the right standards. You may have the, the, the high bar set for a good reason which might be not immediately satisfying um, in just a, just a physical or carnal desire way. But it, again, if that's your goal uh, for the short term and you just want to be more sexual and just date more, you know, and, and uh, mm. have more women in your life, um, then yeah, there, there is certain as part of what I would teach in, in like, for example, a coaching uh, with, with a guy like dating coaching is, is that it's not about lowering your standards, but it is about sort of casting a wider net, um, you know, be putting yourself in more social situations and, and yeah. again, aligning your life with that goal. That's really right. the biggest factor is, is just being open to those experiences. You don't have to date or sleep with anyone that you're not attracted to. That would be, that would be nonsense, right? Mm. I mean, attraction is, specifically the, the thing that makes you want to have sex with someone. So, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a proponent of, like I said, a kind of lowering standards physically or otherwise, Yeah. but it's about accepting people, getting to know people, getting to know more people and yeah, casting that net wide so that you don't miss out on, mm. on a potential experience that. Right. And that is our plan. We are going to go out at the bars. We're going to hang out yeah. more often. That's why we moved here to be closer to, you know, sort of that sort of a, a social circle. Mm. I do also have the rules of the game, which is one of Neil Strauss's books that he wrote after <laughs> the game, which is actually a 30-day challenge to basically get a date with a girl that you're super attracted to, not just physically, but emotionally as well. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people have sort of thumbed their nose at it and raised their eyes and said, this is nonsense and you shouldn't have to go through this process. And Shoulda, woulda, coulda. I don't really give a fuck about what I should do. What I do care about is getting to a stage where I feel happy and fulfilled in every aspect of my life. Not just sexually, but generally speaking, sexually, I haven't had that much luck in terms of all the years I've been on this earth. And so I kind of think maybe I should give it a go. What do you think? Well, I mean, amen on, on a lot of that, right? You know, anyone who judges someone trying to improve themselves is someone that you should distance yourself from, I feel like. Yeah. I, I Like I said, I mean, one of my core values and principles in life is learning and, and yeah. bettering oneself yeah. and bettering the world. And I just think that learning anything, you know, can be valuable. And, mm -hmm. and not only the immersion and experience of learning and disciplining yourself for 30 days. I don't know the exact challenge, but I, I do know of it. Yeah. And these sorts of things. In fact, there is a morgasmic 30 day challenge. It's not the same thing, but uh -huh. these are, are motivating. They are, uh, you know, they're inspirational for the person doing them for other people observing, you know, a lot of times there's forums and things that you, yeah. know, that you do. So I also know though, you know, while some people are sort of haters and, and they're going to look down on somebody, I don't know, learning how to date or learning, you know, certain skill sets in that way. I feel like number one, 
when you're done learning them, they're going to appreciate it. They're not going to, you know, that it's something that maybe they don't realize it or they would turn up their nose at the thought of you learning it. But once you've learned it, those are tried and true, you know, and tested things that actually do attract women or do work in getting a date or relationship going. Yeah. So, and first of all, you know, Neil Strauss, he's a brilliant guy. He's written a lot of stuff besides yeah. the game. You know, a lot of people don't really know that. It's maybe what he's known best for, but the guy is a is a pretty, he's kind of a savant. I don't know. He's, he's a, a very, very brilliant guy. And in, in my opinion, a, a incredible modern writer. So I, I love the guy and I, I've mm. met him actually on several occasions. We I wouldn't nice. say we're friends, but uh, we've, we've hung out a few times. The challenge or whatever, I, I think that the, the thought behind it, if, if your mission is not sleazy, it's not unethical. I think that it's a very, very valid and uh, really valuable thing that, that uh, you could do, whether it's that challenge or just to do that. I think that getting a date, being attracted and attractive to somebody great, is a pretty awesome goal. I think that most single people would, would probably aspire to that. So why not? Go for it. Yeah. yeah. The bottom line is I see girls every day that I'm very attracted to and could have a wonderful relationship with, but I don't possess the social skills needed to be able to get to that stage. So oh, yeah. most people will go, well, just go and say hello. Go and, but it's someone told me, if you want to get a fish, don't ask a fish. Ask a fisherman. <laughs> that's a, that's good advice. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave it at that. But yes, there is a huge industry tailored toward men that essentially all comes down to approach anxiety. It just, yeah. there are hundreds of coaches and businesses that have sprung up in the last 10 or 20 years around social dynamics and dating and whatever they call themselves. Many, many, many of them are really about approach anxiety and confidence. So Every single guy, Neil Strauss and uh, Mystery and whatever, the, every other pickup artist and master in the world mm. feels it. It's a biological thing. It's not a weak thing or a beta thing or anything. It's just a biological instinct that we are hardwired to feel anxiety and fear when it comes to approaching women. It's just about dealing with it and getting over it, you know, and minimizing it. So yeah. while I still get it and, and uh, may not approach every woman I see that I'm attracted to, you know, it's just start taking some shots and, and start aligning not only your intentions, but your actions, you know, with... Sounds good, mate. I am <laughs> I am ready to do it. Awesome. <laughs> How many times have I said that over my life? I really have, I tell you, every I, time. I have a pretty good track record of success, so I'll, I'll uh, <laughs> hold you accountable. Good. Fantastic. Well, I look forward to it. We're... Um... Getting close to an hour here, so uh, we'll wrap things up. One more time, anything you want to push? Well, the website and, and book and program, Morgasmic, is coming soon. It's M-O-R-E-Gasmic, G-A-S-M-I-C dot com. And uh, that site, as well as the book and program, will be released in the winter of 2017, I believe. Fantastic, yeah. mate. Well... We've certainly got a year ahead of us to look forward to um, sure. here in North Hollywood, California. And if you continue listening to this podcast, you'll hear more about it. Thanks, mate. Ciao. Well, there you go. Cool guy, eh? Next week's interview is with a really good friend, one I've actually referenced on here before. She is one of more than a few girls who, after originally really liking me, somehow lost all attraction outside of platonic friendship. How to lose a girl in 10 days. My lips were too big. Or you had just... too big of lips.
Which is insane. I've never heard that. People have said I'm like the best kisser they've ever. I think all men tell women they give great blowjobs. Right. You know, it's just because th- you, you want to get more of them even if they suck. I'll see you next week. Well, that is it. One week closer to Six Feet Under. Thanks for listening and being part of the journey. Drop me a line if you think you or someone you know would be a good match for me as a parenting partner here in Los Angeles. Before you go, though, you know the deal. Please rate, write a review, and subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. Show some love. I'll be back next week, but if you want more before, then you can read my weekly blog at nigelwrestling.com forward slash blog, where you can also buy merchandise, book me, or just send me a nice message. Until then, wherever you are, whoever you're with, I hope you find kindness and love. Be happy. Hell